Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 1. We're going to spend uh, time now looking at this psalm together. The words of this psalm will be familiar to many, but the challenge is always very, uh, very, very challenging challenge to all of us uh, as we read this psalm and hear the word of God. So let me read uh, the first psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. And I've, I've called this uh, sermon the way of worship. The way of worship. Uh, in the world in which we exist, everything uh, works better when it is used in the way that it is meant to be used. So, for example, a, a car works better on the road than it does on the canal. Or a fish would thrive better in the canal than on the towpath. Cars are designed to be on the road, and fish are designed to live in the water. Human beings are designed to live under God's rule. And we may survive for a time not living under his rule, rebelling against his rule, but we will not thrive, and in the end, we'll see in this psalm, neither will we survive. We will be like a beached whale. Okay for a time, but eventually we won't be. Because a whale is designed to live in the sea. The idea of living under God's rule as we are designed to uh, is a helpful way of understanding the word blessed that comes at the beginning of this psalm and, is, uh, and appears all over the scriptures. In fact, Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount, a portion of scripture which we read the end of earlier in Matthew, chapter 7. He began that sermon with the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And the Psalms begin with the same word, blessed. To be blessed is more than just being happy, which is often what it's translated as. Because Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. To be blessed is having God's favor upon us as we live under him. So therefore we can even be Mourning whilst living in a way that brings us the joy of the Lord. 
Today, um, in, our, in our morning worship, we looked at Haggai chapter 1 about reordering our priorities. And tonight we're going to see how the big overriding priority, the way that in the year ahead we will be blessed, is to be people of the word. That is the way to blessing. And Psalm 1 presents us with, with two ways. One of which is blessed, and that's the way of worship. The word way uh, appears actually three times in the psalm, and it means the way we live our life, or the rule by which we live. And the psalm teaches us that there are really only two ways. There is the way of the righteous, and there is the way of the wicked, or the way of blessing, or the way of destruction. Only one will lead to life or blessing. And the encouragement of the psalm, basically where we're going tonight, is to make sure that we are on the right way the, way, the way of blessing. So that in the year ahead, we are walking that path, which is the path of blessing. Again, doesn't mean life is always going to be happy. Things will happen in this year ahead, no doubt, which will be hard. But in spite of hardship, we can still be blessed as we live under God on his way. So the psalm, as I've said, is broken up into two parts. And first of all, verses 1 to 3, we see, number 1, the blessed way of the righteous. The blessed way of the righteous. That's verses 1 to 3. The psalm begins with that word blessed. We've seen what it means. But at this point, it's worth pointing out that the one who is blessed, is blessed as a result of their way of life, not as a reward for it. It's a result, not a reward. So, for example, if I go running to get fit and I get fitter, that fitness is not a reward, but a result of the training. Blessing is not a reward for good behavior. It is rather the result of godliness. Hopefully we'll see this as we go. But how then is, is someone blessed? Well, we're shown two sides of the coin of blessing. The first side is, is how a blessed person is defined by what they do not do. A blessed person is defined by what they do not do. Look at this in verse 1. First of all, the blessed person is one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You see that's what we don't do, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The, the wicked here is the opposite of the righteous that we'll see uh, later. And it's, uh, the, the word means a legal judgment in court. Someone was guilty of a criminal offense. If they were guilty, they would be declared as wicked. It's not a, 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 sub, a, like a subjective thing. It's a declaration. You are wicked. In court. And they're, they're declared wicked because they are guilty of breaking God's law. And to walk with them or associate with them means listening to them and to change your way of thinking to their way of thinking. That's to walk with them. To, to listen to what they're saying so that your way of thought and life begins to change. And then there is a progression. Notice it. 
nor stands in the way of sinners. So wicked is a legal judgment, but sinners is someone whose behavior is dominated by sin. The difference between wicked and sinner here is the difference between a one-off theft that you're guilty of and being a career criminal. To stand in their way is not to obstruct them, but rather to begin to follow the same path that they take. It's to begin to behave like they behave. So your thinking has been changed as you've walked with the wicked, but now it goes a bit further, and it's to begin to to behave in that that way. And then there's that final progression in verse 1, that the blessed person does not take. It says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. A scoffer goes even further. It's someone who has a disdain for right living. They laugh at those who live right and blatantly and publicly sin without restraint or care. Now, in our world, you only need to uh, go on any kind of streaming site and you will see scoffers all over there. People whose, whose way of life is shameless, who, who parade sin in such a way that they don't care that people can see what they have done. That is a scoffer. No restraint or care. And if you were to say something to them, they would laugh at you for having any kind of moral scruples at all. And to sit in their seat means you not only act like them, but you have an allegiance to them. They are now your people. You're staying with them. I mean, when someone comes to your house, if they, they, they might knock on the door and you let them in, if, if they sit down, you've got to write off some time, haven't you? You know if they sit down, they're going to be here a while. And sometimes you think, oh, no, they've sat down. <laughs> um, you know what that means, right? And for here, if you, to sit in the seat of scoffers means you're going to stay around. They are now, you are with them now. They are your, your people. So, so notice the, that, that this downward progression here into sin. It takes you, if you like, from bad to worse. First, you begin to listen to evil things or to laugh at sin and what sin people get up to. You, the, the gossip at work is, or at school is, is juicy and you, and you want to listen to it. And then you, you admire from a distance a celebrity that is ungodly or you watch movies or listen to music that glorify sin and depravity all the while thinking that you're immune to it but being taken in by it. And then you begin to behave like that which you are watching and listening to. You begin to stand with them in this sense. You begin to go their way. You participate in their jokes. You're heavily involved in their parties and their attitudes become your attitudes. You pick up their habits. And then you take that that step further. You leave God behind. You ally yourself with people who, who have no interest in God Because you're going to feel stupid if you're not sitting with them because the scoffers scoff. And ultimately you become just like they are and you've walked away from God. And you might think, well, that that couldn't happen to me. Yes, it could. Because I've seen it happen over and over again. We've seen this kind of thing happen. People have chosen the world instead of Jesus. And I've no doubt there are 
uh, people that you can think of that once were walking the way of the righteous but have gone this other way. It begins with a kind of one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. But if you do that, you are choosing the world. It's not the way to blessing. The blessed one does not do those things. So we must be careful who we associate with. That's not to say we have to cut people off who are not Christians. Of course not. None of my family, well, my my wife is a Christian, but none of my parents or siblings, none of my family are Christians. Of course I I don't cut them off. But I have to be careful even in those relationships that I'm not walking in step with them, thinking like they do, behaving like they do, participating in sin in the same way that they do. Now, some might be thinking, well, wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Yes, he was, but he was a friend of sinners because he was offering sinners salvation. He didn't think or act like them. He was offering them a better way. They began, upon following him, to think and act like him. And our friendship with the world should be characterized by our offer of the gospel. And this means you'll stand out. Notice how there is in verse 1, the man, singular, who is blessed. But the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers are plural. There are a lot of them. And Jesus said that there are few who find the narrow way. The blessed person will stand out from the crowd, and that will be hard for us. Uh, Just as a personal thing, I find it incredibly hard when I go and visit my family to be the only Christian and to stand out like a sore thumb so often. I find it hard, and it is tempting to just go with the flow and start to act in ways that really wouldn't be very godly, to fit in. I get how that is hard, but Jesus told us the narrow way is hard. It's hard to walk that way. And today, a a lot of, uh, uh, well, Christians will be mocked for living right, and it's hard. But today, a lot of the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers are actually online. And so we've got to be careful, too, that we're not being influenced by wickedness in the movies we watch, the music we listen to, The feeds that we follow, whether that be glorifying greed or sex or violence or whatever it might be. Uh, I used to work, I think I said this morning, um, in in IT. And I used to test computer software. And one of the, the sayings we often would say was that rubbish in, rubbish out. If the coding was rubbish going in, The software would produce rubbish. And it's the same in our lives. If what is coming in is just rubbish, it's just filth and numbing and all those things. If that's all that's going in, then what is going to come out in your life will be that same kind of stuff. So we've got to be careful. However, the blessed person is not only defined by what they don't do, but there's a contrast here. Do you see it in verse 2 with the word but? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So here's the good that we must take in. The law of the Lord initially meant the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jewish law. 
Here, it also means the, the Psalter divided into five books like the law of Moses. But for us as God's people today, the law of the Lord can be taken to mean the whole of the scriptures. And if we want to be blessed, then we must delight in the law of the Lord. Now, to delight is not just to comply with it. It's not just legalism where we might read it and obey it because, well, I suppose I'd better do this. No, a person who delights in it is eager to know what God wants for their life. Is eager to know it because it's the way to blessing. And so they joyfully seek him in his word. A person who delights in, 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 in the law, verse 2 says, meditates on it day and night. The word meditate, by the way, li- literally means to, to mutter aloud. It's to memorize. It's to think upon. It's to work out. How can I put this into practice? It's to pray over it. And we do so day and night. Now, some people take this literally, that we have to have a morning and an evening Bible reading, and that's helpful. But remember, the Psalms are are poetry, so there's more going on than just a legalistic, well, I better have a a morning and an evening devotion. What it's meaning here, day, day and night means all the time. So the law of the Lord is constantly in people's hearts. And to go back to, 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 to IT again, it's like a computer program that is running constantly in the background on your phone or computer. It's like on your phone, you've got like your clock that shows you the time. Uh, that clock is always running in the background. You don't notice it's there. You probably don't use your phone all that much just to look at the time. But it's always running in the background. That's how the, the law of the Lord should be in our lives. It should be a constant running program in our lives so that it just flows out of us in the way that we live. It's almost like you don't realize it's there, but it is there. We are people of the word in that sense. And then the psalmist illustrates what the blessed person who delights in the law of the Lord is like. In verse 3, the, the, the psalmist uses a simile. He is like a tree. A tree is is strong and firm and lasting, but it's a tree that is planted. A planted tree does not grow in its place naturally. It's been placed there by a gardener. God has chosen us and planted us to be a strong, permanent tree in his kingdom. And in order for us to thrive in our place uh, where we are planted, Uh, We are planted by streams of water in verse 3. A tree to thrive needs to have water. And the blessed person who delights in God's law has streams of water and abundance of nourishment and enrichment. God's law is that water of life that provides what we need to grow. And as the tree is planted by streams of water, there are results that come from this. First of all, it yields fruit in its season. Fruitfulness uh, speaks of the fruit of godliness that comes from delighting in God's word as we're nourished by it. Uh, In the New Testament, it's the, the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of people coming to faith in Christ. And the fruit is in season because it's appropriate and it's distinctive. Uh, Spurgeon uh, gives examples of this, uh, of of what in season means. He says, it's patience in times of suffering. It's faith in the day of trial and holy joy 
in the hour of prosperity. It's, it's responding rightly to what God brings our way. That's fruit in its season. But the second result is that its leaf does not wither. Now, normally trees do wither. We see, we see, we see this. They age. Even seasonally, there's, a, there's the, the autumn leaf that falls. But this tree doesn't wither, which speaks of an evergreen, everlasting tree. It speaks, in a sense, of being forever young. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I've been reading my Bible for very many years, and I don't feel younger for it. But this isn't speaking, of course, of physical youth, but rather in the New Testament sense of being inwardly renewed day by day as God's word nourishes us. The Christian, actually, as they become more Christ-like, becomes newer every day. Becomes younger in that sense. Even if outwardly we are perishing. So the first result is fruit in season. The second result is leaf that does not wither. But thirdly, we see prosperity. Do you notice that? At the end of verse 3, in all that he does, he prospers. Now the word for prosper here does not mean become rich. It means to fulfill the purpose to which It was made. So again, we are living as God intends us to live. Fulfilling his plans and purposes for our lives. That's what it means to prosper. You're prosperous if you are fulfilling the purpose for which you are made. And that looks different for for us individually. All of us have different lives, different things that have happened to us, different things that shape us. And what God wants for us is for us to fulfill his purposes for us. In the places where he has planted us. To be fruitful where you are planted. In your circumstances. In your home. In your family. In your workplace and so on. So all of us I'm sure would say we want to be blessed. Don't we? We want to have life as it was meant to be. The world is chasing after this. But to be truly blessed. We must be those who delight in the word of God. We can judge our spiritual state by asking, what is the word of God to us? So let me encourage you to be reading your Bibles this year. This is the last day of 2024, so there is still time to find a a, a good Bible reading plan for the year ahead. You don't have to read your whole Bible in a year. That's just one suggestion. But make a plan for this year to be reading your Bible each day, delighting in it, so that you will be nourished by it and grow. Find time in the day to do it. Perhaps I would encourage you maybe to do it first thing so you don't get overtaken by other things that happen in the day. But as you read your Bible, whenever it is, meditate on it. Pray through each verse or section you read. Think over how it shows God's goodness and thank him for it. Think over what sin has been highlighted and confess it. Think over how you can put into practice what you are reading. Because the word of God is God's means to God's blessing. So let's be those that seek him in it and delight in it. That's the blessed way of the righteous. But we see a contrast in verses 4 to 6. We see, number two, the destructive way of the wicked. 
the destructive way of the wicked. So notice that contrast that comes in verse 4. The wicked are not so. So they are not blessed. They are not like the tree who is bearing fruit. They are not like the tree that doesn't wither. They are not prospering. Even if it looks like they are prospering externally, they are not prospering. They are not living life as it's intended to be lived. They are like something else entirely. Look at verse 4. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now chaff is about as opposite to to a strong firm tree as you could possibly imagine. Uh, When grain was gathered in, the chaff was the unwanted husks around the grain. And they were gotten rid of by winnowing. So the grain and the chaff was thrown into the air. And the chaff, being much lighter, was blown away by the wind. So that the good grain, which was heavier, was, fell to the ground and was what was left. Chaff is rootless and fruitless and worthless and weightless. It doesn't last and it's just destroyed. So it's rootless, fruitless, worthless, weightless, does not last, and is destroyed. Notice as well how how terse this is as well. The psalmist labors over a lovely picture uh, of this tree in verse 3. But this sentence in verse 4 is so short. And it illustrates the the shortness of of their life. All that the wicked have, all that they have achieved will be blown away into nothingness, never to be seen again. It's also very sad, and it's the reality for all those who reject God. And so if you're here this evening and and you have rejected Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to think on these things. Think on your eternal state. Think on your life. Because if you're not on the way of blessing, in the end... It would all be nothing and worthless and blown away. And in verse 3, we see the result of delighting in God's law. In verse 5, we see the result of rejecting it. It begins with therefore. So there are results here and there are two. Firstly, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Unlike the righteous who like a tree stands, the wicked fall. And judgment here refers to God's judgment over all people. Each one of us here today, every one of you here, will have to face God one day. And if we are judged in God's court as wicked, guilty of sin, then we will not stand. Unless our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. So the wicked won't stand in the judgment. There are many today who either don't believe that this will happen, and they will find they were very wrong, or there are people who think that they can tell God what they think, or try and persuade God and twist his arm to allow them into heaven. No, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Only those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who is revealed in the word of God as the only way to salvation, only those that have put their faith in him will be saved. So that's the first consequence. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. The second consequence is found in the second half of verse 5. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now this is the first time the word righteous is used. 
And like wicked, it's a legal standing. It's declared right with God. In the beginning of the psalm, we, we see the, the righteous person uh, having to stand alone among the wicked, sinful scoffers. But here, do you notice that there is a congregation of the righteous? The congregation here is the, in the New Testament is, is the word church. There is a great congregation of God's people. So it feels like, verse 1, we are alone among all these unbelievers and we're going a difficult way that people are laughing at us and we feel stupid. But at the same time in the psalm, we see there is a congregation of God's people who we are a part of. And that's the church. And that's why it's so important that we're part of a local church family so that we can come aside from the world and remember that we are part of something great and big, something eternal, somewhere that's home. But the sinners are not part of that. They cannot stand there. They are excluded from that congregation. The consequences of walking, standing and sitting with the wicked sinners and mockers is that you are excluded from being a member of the church. So there's a social consequence to sin. You cannot stand in the assembly, the church of the righteous. And that's true in a, in a local church sense. Uh, you cannot be a member of a local church really if you are not a forgiven sinner. Of course, we're all sinners in the sense that we all fight against sin and we all have sinned. But the ones that are in this congregation are those that have been declared righteous because Jesus has paid for their sins. So a Christian isn't someone that hasn't ever done anything wrong. No, it's someone who's had their sin paid for because they have faith in Jesus Christ to pay for that sin on the cross. But if your life is, is, is defined by what we should not do in verse 1, then you can't claim to be a Christian, really. And then you're not part of a local church, and that's when churches exercise church discipline. That's a way of saying you're not standing in the congregation of the righteous. But it's also true in the final judgment. The sinner may have had company once, but at the judgment they are excluded from the great congregation of God's people. And so for those of us that do feel it hard to have to stand alone at times in the world, let me encourage you that it is better by far to face exclusion from earthly company now and be able to stand in the great congregation of God's people on that day. And our final verse in verse 6 gives us the reason why the wicked won't stand. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knowing here means that he cares for his own. That word know in the Bible is, is more than intellectual knowledge. It's a relational word. God knows and cares for his own. He knows the way that they are on. And he cares for them on that way, brings them along that way. The Lord will ensure his people keep on that road. Christian, you will make it by God's power. With God's help, with God watching over you, helping you to delight in his word, you will make it to glory as you depend on him. But the way of the wicked is different. 
Just notice how the two sentences of verse 6 begin differently. In the first sentence, it is the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is the way of God. The righteous are not their own. But in the second sentence, the way of the wicked is their own way. They are, if you like, their own lords. They are the author of their own fate, marching towards destruction. Sadly, one of the most popular songs at funerals is Frank Sinatra's My Way. Uh, I will not conduct a funeral that has that as the final song. Even if it's an unbeliever, I won't do a funeral with that at the end. It's, it's, it's not right. It's sad, even if it's true. And it's a sad epitaph that speaks a truth that the people who choose that song will forever regret. The destruction here ultimately means hell. Separation from God forever. And so the choice is yours to make. You can be blessed for eternity or perish for eternity under God's judgment. Jesus taught the same thing as Psalm 1 when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, which we read part of earlier. Jesus spoke of the the narrow gate that leads to life and the broad gate that leads to destruction. Jesus spoke of the wise and the foolish builders who faced the storm of God's judgment. Jesus spoke of the one who stood was the one whose life was based on the words of Christ. And Jesus, when he was teaching that Sermon on the Mount, no doubt had Psalm 1 in his mind. But Jesus not only taught these words, Jesus is the blessed man of this psalm. Jesus never sinned. Jesus always delighted in his Father's will. Jesus always was fruitful in season, fulfilling all he was called to do. He walked the righteous way, even though it contained much suffering, mockery, and standing out from the crowd. Jesus was scoffed, wasn't he? And if we think about it, and we don't have to think too hard, we are not the blessed man. We have failed in verse 1. We have not delighted in God's word, as we've seen in verse 2. So how can we possibly be blessed? Well, the good news is that we can through Jesus. Although Jesus walked the way of the righteous, which God knows, Jesus suffered the fate of the wicked. On the cross, he suffered the result of our sin to pay the price for it. But Jesus rose again from the dead, showing that the price of sin has been paid. And when we believe that Jesus dies for our sin and that he rose from the dead and we ask God to forgive our sins, he will forgive us. He will declare us as righteous. He will bring us into the assembly of the righteous and he empowers us by the Holy Spirit to walk on that path, bearing fruit, not withering, but prospering. Through Jesus Christ alone, we are blessed. We're blessed. And so as we come into a new year, there are two big things that we need to do that if you were here as a Christian, you've probably heard said thousands of times. Number one, believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to true blessing. That is, Jesus Christ is the only way to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. Because he's the only one who died for our sins, 
and has risen from the dead and has ascended into heaven and is coming back to take his people home and judge the world. That's the first thing. Believe that to be true. And secondly, read your Bibles. Delight in them. Read them every day. Follow God's word. And that is the way to true blessing as we trust in his word. Nothing, nothing really new, nothing radical, nothing all that profound, except it is, isn't it? To trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to hear, isn't it, on this New Year's Eve? That we would recommit to doing just that. Believe in Jesus by trusting in his word.